I just love when he's sitting in that thing and he's blowing people up, and the dude, the kid, just leans out to like get a better view. Like, I was like, this, exactly. this kid's up and twisted, and I love it. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Our Verdict TV podcast, where we fashion ourselves television judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-host Ian Anderson. Some shit. And our returning guest host, Jay Vinson. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great to be back. Sweet, man. Good to have you back. Do you guys ever find yourself wondering if you should take the time to set your TiVo to record a show each week or invest hours into binging that show all of your friends are telling you to watch? Well, we're here to answer that question for you. We put TV shows on trial, discuss the facts, pass judgment, and let you know our verdict. We appreciate any help growing the podcast. Go ahead, hit that follow, subscribe button, or tell a friend about us. Go check out our website, whatsourverdict.com, and subscribe to our email list for exclusive content and updates. Today, we're reviewing The Mandalorian Season 1. The Disney Plus series stars Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, Nick Nolte, Taika Waititi, Werner Herzog, and Giancarlo Esposito. It's about the travels of a lone bounty hunter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So we'll just jump in, guys. So the first episode, I think is like the perfect introductory episode. Like it's wide open enough at the beginning that you just have like no idea what's going on. And I remember back when it first came out, they nobody knew anything about the child at that point. There was just some secret. They did so good at keeping it all hidden so I was really tickled by how this went because it was just an introduction introduction to something new from the Star Wars universe and produced by two of my favorite people when it comes to the Star Wars universe and movie making in general so I was stoked and I just love the way this whole first episode panned out what'd you guys think I love the way they kick it off when he like walks into that bar he like doesn't answer any questions he's just sitting there and they finally uh, get into a little bit of fight and that guy gets closed into the door I remember being like Ooh, that was a beautiful shot be good. At, at the beginning of that shot where like that kind of like drew me in right away was where you just kind of see like his you know his outline and it's snowing like it just looked really it looked better than most of the Star Wars movies sometimes no yeah his introduction is great and I love that I mean who was the the special guest that was playing that guy the Uh, fish guy yeah the fish guy I was wondering if they were trying to eat him because they were talking about selling his gills and like certain things tasting good on him I was like (laughs) what do you want to do with this guy no kidding yeah, he was a, apparently a big Horatio Sands. That's who played him, the Mithral. So I don't really know who Horatio Sands is other than he's a Saturday Night Live guy. That's the only thing I remember about him. Yeah, he's like a comedian, I think. He was good, yeah. though. He was oh, yeah. funny. He was really funny. Well, and then he kept talking about money. And then, he, of course, then one of the first e- Easter eggs, he's like, I was really hoping to make it to Life Day. And I was like, oh, why would you bring up the holiday special? Are you kidding me? <laughs> they, that, they got yeah. deep cuts like that that I don't even notice. Dude, it's great. This show. Oh, that's one of the other things about this show that I just fully appreciate John Favreau and Dave Filoni for is the fact that they just dive so deep into all this lore and then these Easter eggs are just throughout this whole show and it's just beautiful. But yeah, Life Day, the stupid holiday, Star Wars holiday special, it was horrible. But that whole thing was surrounded by Chewbacca and his family living, like celebrating Life Day. <laughs> so bad. So yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. You should consider yourself lucky. I watched it when I was a kid. It was horrible. You did have a a great quote when he was like the guy was like telling him you better watch out on the ice and then he gets in after that monster attacks it's like watch out on the ice that's the understatement of the millennia 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the giant walrus creature that comes out and holds on to like the ship. Like ice skater or whatever it is. Yeah, that thing was nuts. So he gets him back, and I love when they get back to Navarre. Well, first of all, let's not skip over the fact that we now have a travel version of the carbonite freezing things. I was like, whoa, that's bitching, dude. Like when he, yeah, like you see all these people, He's he goes, I got to go to the bathroom or I got to go eject myself. The back tube. The <laughs> yeah, back tube exactly. is what it was called. Yeah, he's got to go to the back tube. And he's walking through the ship and he sees like, it's almost like those stores, you know, like Walmart, they have those poster slider things that you can see all the full posters in. Only it's the people frozen in carbonite and you realize that it's built into his ship. What a way to hold Man, on to somebody. I thought, it was, I was like, you know what? I'd probably be a good bounty hunter because I collect DVDs like nobody. <laughs> so I'll just be collecting these carbon copies everywhere getting paid. Hell yeah. No, I thought that was so cool. But yeah, then we were, we're introduced then to Grief Karga or the man, the myth, the legend, right? So all of a sudden you've got Carl Weathers or in here and all I can think about is is Rocky. I'm like, oh my goodness. Bringing Creed into Star Wars. Creed's in it. Yeah. I thought it was uh, Lando for, <laughs> for a while because as they got older, they kind of started looking similar, but I, and I was Star Wars. I didn't know. Hey, just so you know, that's not unrealistic because when I was a kid, I saw Star Wars long before I ever saw the Rocky movies. I remember watching Rocky 2. No, it was Rocky 3. I remember watching Rocky 3 the first time and, and saying to my dad, that's Lando Calrissian. And my dad's <laughs> like, no, it's not. <laughs> and I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm with you. They, they do have some similar characteristics and their voice sounds similar too. Yeah, so. I think that's it. That makes me feel better, actually. Yeah, no, I yeah. Feel better now. <laughs> I definitely thought that. For a long time, I would confuse the two of them. So yeah, no worries there. The funny part about the, so Carl Weathers, here's Apollo Creed in, in a Star Wars film, but the music. So first of all, I love the music throughout this whole series. Really cool music. But there's a part of the music that sounds eerily similar to Rocky, one of the Rocky themes. And I can't think of it right off the top of my head, but every time I list, I watch this show, there's a part of the theme music that plays. And I'm like, that sounds like the Moot Rocky theme. And then I realized, I went, looked up the composer and he actually composed a bunch of music for the new Creed movies. I was just two- about to say, yeah, yeah. It's Black Panther Creed guy. So yep. yeah, you definitely got that. Man, yeah. uh, Lud- Ludwig Goranson, something yes. like that. Yep, that's I his name. Him. Yeah, no, it's great music, but I, I did laugh and I can't, I wish I could sing them because I can't think of the melody right now. But yeah, there's parts of it that you can tell that there's some carryover. Like there's some overlap with mm-hmm. some of that. It's that like Hans Zimmer. There. Yeah. <laughs> Every time yep. you see a Hans Zimmer film. For sure. And then he gets this weird bounty. And I love, one of my favorite parts is this introduction to the underground network of Mandalorians because the armorer, she's badass. Even at the beginning, she's just like, no, nah, you guys just shut up. This guy, this is the way we're doing it. Keep your mouth this shut. Is the way. Yeah. It's a great scene when you realize that they're all hiding underneath this town. Plus she looks like medieval badass because she has the fur. And then like later on, world alert, she has axes yeah. and yeah. like the gold helmet is kind of like, I don't know, it looks kind of royal, like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. When I love that her, the, the T slits are a little different because most of the Mandalorian masks are very similar in the way that those the black T-bar looks and hers is a little different. It's got a little bit more of an accent to the eyes 
And so, yeah, I just loved the difference in her and how she kind of held all these guys in check and made sure they had all their shit. It was pretty cool. I liked that introduction to her. That but I love Forge, too. Like, that Forge was badass. Like, all the blue <laughs> flame coming out of it. You just set it in the middle and it melts shit. Yeah. She alert. knows how to handle her tools, too, man. She's pretty good oh, at yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. She ma- she gives him a badass suit later on. That, that oh. I mean, even the blade, like the shoulder blade that he got, mm-hmm. like, when I, his, his, uh, I do love how they did build up his suit like that how you spent like a couple of episodes where he's kind of just has that the two armor plates mm-hmm. and he's just making it work but hey it made it work i like it so then he go he gets this bounty right so he goes off to this planet and we meet quill who's my favorite character in this season i love quill nick nolte is the yeah. coolest voice ever just that like swallows freaking glass every day <laughs> They picked a perfect, like, resemblance for a Star Wars character to be Nick Nolte. <laughs> I would imagine that little guy with the oh, hair. Yeah. Here's an Ugnot. Nick <laughs> Nolte is an Ugnot. Quill takes him to to where the outpost is, and we meet IG-11, who's also an amazing character. Not even and, remotely because of the fact that it's Taika Waititi voicing him, but right? it certainly doesn't hurt. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. That was amazing. Like, I, don't, I don't even think they showed it until the last episode in the credits. I don't know if I saw saw his name as because he directed the last one I noticed and they showed his mm-hmm. name as the voice so I didn't know it until the show was over and I was like oh my god no wonder I love that droid it was Taika Waititi he's so yeah. awesome yeah so then they go in this big battle which was really awesome and one of the things that I love about this show across the board is the fact that the episodes are short yeah I'm not usually a fan of that but it works with this series I think anyway where they're you know 35 to 40 minutes at most long I think the longest one's the last one it's like 48 minutes I just really like like that, but they stuff so much into the episodes that you're never bored. Like this one, this battle is crazy. When the Mandalorian is going out and IG-11 are just taking on this entire battalion of aliens and you're just batting the big guns. Oh, it was great. Yeah, give uh, Mando a Gatlin gun and he can do anything, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I love that IG's like trying to ex- like terminate himself. <laughs> yeah. <battle>. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I must self-destruct. And the Mandalorian's like, stop it. Don't do that will be fine. <laughs> oh man, that was great. great. It's like a little ball that kept coming out of his chest. Too, yeah, he was like, no, just put it away. It looked like uh oh, I can't remember the name of him now, but yeah, the little explosive device that was inside of him. Oh god, what is that thing? It's gonna bother me now. Anyway, it'll pop up in my head later. This is, of course, at the end they thermal win their battle. Stuff? Is that thermal detonator. That's what it is. Mm. It's a thermal. Yeah. All I can think about is Return of the Jedi. Is that a thermal detonator? <laughs> it's got a thermal detonator. <laughs> And everybody freaks out. Like, it reminds me of the scene in Solo where he's acting like the rock is a thermal detonator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That shows our age difference, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Solo and I have watched more recently. Yeah, and I've watched, I've seen Jedi so many times I could probably quote it to you, except I couldn't remember the name of a damn thermal detonator. <laughs> so, of course, this is the moment when we're introduced to the child, which is a child of Yoda species, which blew my brain. Like I was like, when he, when they open that thing and you see the ears and the green, I was like, holy shit, they did it. Mm-hmm. This is a baby Yoda. That last shot where it's like they're touching fingers oh, to yeah. close it on that. It's like, whoa, good job. It was amazing. 
right, so episode two. This episode surprised me because it was so many things that I just didn't expect from an, a Star Wars show, but I loved every moment of it. Like, it starts off normal enough. They're in the little tunnel, and you can tell that they're being tracked by other bounty hunters. But when you get to the Jawas stealing the shit from his ship, I was like, oh, what a way to keep this show going. Like, just all I could think of, Houdini! Like, it- <laughs> <laughs> just yes it was perfection and he starts disintegrating them which make me think of empire strikes back where vader tells boba fett no disintegrations <laughs> like it just it's amazing like all the callbacks and it was just fun watching him his ship get stripped by jawas yeah that might have been my favorite episode because it was like so it was funny and and yeah they do have a lot in it the jawas remind me of like baltimore junkies you know you like leave your car on the street come back and they're trying to sell you your rims back <laughs> I was like, man, they got got some walls. That's funny. Yeah, and they stripped it completely. Like, when he's sitting in there, and it's like you can see outside from the cockpit, like through the walls and shit. I was like, damn, that sucks. By the way, that disintegration, is that like a rifle? It was like a tuning fork looked like, but I know it's a rifle. Is that something that Boba Fett had? Uh Uh Uh-huh. Also, funny enough, okay, because going back to the holiday special, this shitty holiday special, that was actually the first time that Boba Fett was introduced to the Star Wars universe was during the holiday special and he had that a, a weapon just like that badass hell yeah <laughs> it was bitching you just poof and they go up in a cloud of smoke plus i could watch baby yoda watch the mandalorian fight all day like he had the fight in the beginning and then later on with the beast i was like oh this is so amusing i just love when he's sitting in that thing and he's blowing people up and the dude the kid just leans out to like get a better view <laughs> I was like, this, exactly. this kid's fucked up and twisted and i love it <laughs> Seriously, you can lift a whole mud horn up or whatever it was called, and mm-hmm. uh, he's 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 a mad scientist, man. Yeah, so that this wasn't Yoda. No, there's well, we don't know. There's a lot of theories. It's obviously not Yoda, Yoda, but there's theories out there that it might be a clone of Yoda. I mean, obviously, we've been introduced to cloning now in the Star Wars yeah. universe, extended universe, and now it's canon through the Last Jedi or the Rise of Skywalker. So there's certainly that precedent of cloning. So it could be some sort of clone of. Of Yoda. There's also theories that it might be another one of these dyads of the in the Force. Which interesting fact, given its age, it would have been born around the same time as Anakin. Mm. And so there's also theory, and there's also theories that it might be a dyad with them adding Ahsoka Tano to the second season. Maybe it's dyad with Ahsoka. Um, also something that they might be working toward. But they know it's a dyad because they just released a book that talks about different aspects of the Star Wars universe, and it mentions that that healing that he does in this and that Ray uses and Kylo Ren uses at the end of the most recent movie is a power that is only available to dyads, members of a dyad of the Force. That's why the rumor of him being part of a dyad has come up because he does heal later on in the series. So Yeah, because this episode they mentioned Mando's ship being like pre-Empire and that's when I was like, wait, is this not Yoda? And so <laughs> that makes a lot more sense now. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney just messed up and put it in this book and didn't realize what the implications were. I would not be surprised yeah. one bit. Wouldn't surprise me either. And I, I feel bad for because I got so much shit to keep track of. But yeah, like I was like, I, and I'll laugh if that's what it turns out to be because it's going to be like, you know what? You weren't that far off 
of a release <laughs> <laughs> with a dyad in between these two and you fucked up like that? Jeez. And like how yeah. a fuck up could be explained with like the canon of Star Wars, you can still find a way to make it work. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure if that if it comes up and it was a mistake, they'll be like, yeah, but Yoda's species had it and we just never said they did because <laughs> yeah. nobody knows hardly anything about that species. I do love this Mudhorn fight though. Like the Jawas are fun and that part's cool, but the Mudhorn fight obviously is like this massive piece that introduces you to how powerful this kid already is. And I guess I say already, it's 50 bloody years old, but it's still a child, you know? So it's interesting to see. And I love the, the Mando's just getting his ass handed to him by this giant ass thing, thrown around, bucked around. His armor's all trashed. Great. At the end, he's just like holding the knife up, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like in surrender. Yep. He's like, here we go. Time to go. And you can tell he's got his eyes closed because the, the thing goes up in the air and he's still standing. And then he like looks up and he's like, oh shit, what the hell's going on? <laughs> but I do love all it took was this little knife to kill this yeah. giant thing. I was, was thinking like, that too. I was like, great knife work. It just like right? one spot in the neck. That's the only place you can hit this thing. And he knew that. Seriously. And I, in my head, I'm like, dude, you got wrapped around his head once already. Couldn't you have just like stabbed him when he thumped you one time? <laughs> I was like, come on. For real, something that big. I'm going to be constantly in a stabbing motion. Exactly. <laughs> me around. It's funny. But yeah, of course, we then learned that this kid has some serious power in the force because that's a big ass animal to be lifting up in the air like that, which is pretty love, cool. Plus, it was still running. I like how they did that. It didn't just stop. It was yeah. Like still trying to run while Yoda was holding him up. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell to do. All right. Yeah, episode three. This is a crazy episode, too. You could tell that he wasn't keen on leaving this kid. And it was interesting how they played out because at first I didn't know. I get other than saving a kid in the first episode, I questioned, I was like, why would he care if he's just a bounty hunter and he's as, as badass as he said, other than being a good person, why would he save this kid, right? And then you find out as the series go, and I love how they just give you snippets of this guy's backstory so that you can start to see that it matters because these new version of the Mandalorians take on children as foundlings, and so he's always concerned with that. So, and then of course, spoiler alert, you find out later that he was a foundling, which I think is cool. I like the way they lay yeah. that out. I like how they show it like while he's getting his armor made. He, that's where you get mm-hmm. the, the backstory and uh, and then also <laughs> Baby Yoda and that little knob, man. That thing was... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it played so well throughout the whole episode because in the end, that's what re- like reminds him to be a good person and go save it. Mm-hmm. But it just just that little. I have so many notes that start with aw. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I did love that part, Jay. To your point, when the the kid keeps going after the knob on the the accelerator line or whatever, and then he he takes it from him, puts it back, and then he eventually takes it off and hands it to him at the yeah. end of the episode. But I just yeah, I loved and like you say, I love that that was his trigger of. I can't let this kid be hurt or do whatever to it. So it's interesting. The other piece that I wonder and was never really answered is why do they want this kid? What are they doing to this child when they're experimenting? Are they taking blood samples? What are they doing? You know, I heard extract when he was like listening in. Mm. I heard something about extract and I'm like, what are they going to extract from Yoda or baby Yoda? Or, well, the child. You know, yeah, he, yeah. Has, he has a name, baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. He almost got sued for draw. Like seriously, my, my ex-fiance is an artist and we would go to art shows and, 
she drew like a really cool uh she's a graphic design artist and she drew like a really cool picture and it was selling like hotcakes and then disney sent her an email was like stop selling baby yoda they like wow. cracked down hard because it was like i think they waited either a few months to like a year to release baby yoda like items for sale mm-hmm. and so they were just cracking down on everybody with that that's crazy yeah i think they missed the boat on being prepared for that one. No shit they kept like the secret really well but, yeah. Would be, yeah too well yeah they kept it a secret well, why like you had to have known that he was going to be popular because dude the, the kid's cute as shit yeah i mean even beyond yeah. the attachment to yoda he's cute yeah the mark or marketing or somebody messed, messed up, up. they didn't see the value there man it's a baby yoda you gotta pounce on that shit exactly <laughs> they should have had what? such a line of toys ready i know right making you wait months but also the the mandalorians fight in this episode which was pretty freaking cool yeah i thought that was so badass like when he's hemmed in and he's getting ready to lose and all of a sudden out of nowhere these tons of mandalorians come flying in with their jet packs kicking everybody's ass oh it was so good and they just were like and the coolest part is they had just got done almost fighting with him you know what i mean mm-hmm. because they were pissed that this dude's got all this new armor and he's creating problems with whatever i i just loved that now all of a sudden they still came to his his aid and helped him get out of the city with his quarry so i just thought that was cool cool way to show that unity even though there was some disagreements going on within that group also they I mentioned like the a fight rule. between the two where they're like trying to take each other's helmets off that was this episode right where they're duking it out. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah i, I loved it i didn't like he had uh the armor and then they went at it in front of the forger and then all you got to say is uh that is the way yeah <laughs> no sure. i i have spoken if you're nick nolte actually oh yeah i did love but, that shit too i have spoken and <laughs> just fucking walks away <laughs> it's a great way to end any line i have spoken oh, yeah. it's perfect <laughs> who uh the bad guy in this he he had this gold medallion was that of any importance to the star wars universe not that i saw other than it had the old imperial insignia on it mm, but i don't I, know if that maybe had indicated that he was maybe like a governor or some sort of leadership rank but yeah i know it had an, the imperial insignia on it that's the only thing i knew about it just wondering because that thing was blinged out well and warner herzog does such a great job of playing him he's so controlled and menacing and has this great accent that was really fun to watch him play that and he's such that a Werner Herzog the documentarian yeah the, yeah the old wow the guy that yeah the client that was Werner yeah. Herzog yeah I did not notice that <laughs> yeah insane. but yeah he yeah. did do a good job you're right yeah I really enjoyed his like he was just kind of menacing without being feeling scary but you could tell like he had been scary at one point probably when he had more stormtroopers at his disposal and was some sort of imperial leader but yeah he was he played the part very well I loved it when uh when I think the best line in the movie for me was when because I was thinking it and when he saw the jetpack at the end the very last line he's like I get me one of those (laughs) what are you doing with that one and I thought that same thing as where's this jetpack then you come to find out that you have to actually earn that shit I was like that's cool yeah episode overall I think yeah it was fun fun introduction to uh, again I, I think it goes back to how short they were there's nothing extra in any of these episodes it's exactly what needs to be there to tell the story in a very effective way so I like that. All right, episode four. What I liked about this episode is it was kind of de- of a departure from the really action-packed first three episodes. The first three episodes were so packed with content and getting to know the story and the characters and everything was going on. It was you move into this chapter four and it slows down for a second, right? You have an introduction of Cara Dune at their little battle at the bar, but other than that, after that, and they go to the little village and they're hanging out and it's just quiet and simple. I really enjoyed that change of pace that allowed you to kind of get to know the. 
Mandalorian a little bit more. The fact that he's never removed his helmet since he was a kid. The fact that he was adopted by the the Mandalorians. He was a foundling. So I, I liked that they took that second to further the story with a really cool introduction of this little village. Yeah, it was perfectly titled. It was called, I think it was named Sanctuary. Uh-huh. And it was just, just like you said, like it felt like a fresh breath of air in between all this fighting, especially all the fighting that's about to come. Yeah. Well, and I like the intro to this episode too, because you see these villagers that are farming for these blue shrimp looking yeah, things, like right? Yeah, the yeah. krill. Yeah, so they're down there krill farming, and then all of a sudden you hear like the loud stomp, like it's some sort of giant beast or whatever, and then their village gets attacked. And of course, come to find out that it's an old walker, an imperial walker, the ATST, which was a really cool thing too. Kind of an interesting take on, hey, they commandeered this probably Clone Wars or later version of this thing, and they made it their own, which is crazy to think about. You, you know, the power in the region at that point, right? Plus there was like uh, like an army of bulldogs that did it. So that's actually pretty impressive. And I yeah. guess Spider-Man was right be when he in that Marvel movie where he's like, remember that old movie? The only way you can take a, a walker down is to trip it. Knock it on its ass. Well, and I, I enjoyed too, like they, you know, they come up with a plan of we're going to dig this hole. And then for the first part of it, like, it's like, nah, I'm not going to step in that hole. I'll just stand <laughs> yeah. here and shoot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sometimes like I love when they show here's this great plan, but they don't always work out the way you plan for them to. And then you have to go and piss this dude off to get him to try to step a little bit further finally get the trap yeah that that i was a gina car what's her last name again carano she uh was the only person who knew how to hide from the spotlight and so that's why she could get that shot off everybody else i was like she didn't teach the villagers to hide from a big light coming from a monster they just stood there face first it was funny when it first steps out of the woods and everybody's like get down get down and those two idiots are just sitting there staring (laughs) at it in the light oh was it just them yeah i noticed that's exactly what i was talking about yeah at first none of the villagers did but most of them saw the Mandalorian and Kara get down and so they ducked but the two that hired him originally came to a ship and hired him were just sitting there staring at it like what's this thing <laughs> where's this light coming from um, I love this part of the episode too because it gives some or this episode because it gives some nuance to the character of the Mandalorian you now have you can see that he's kind of tired like he's out battling and because he thinks about for a few minutes he thinks about staying and letting Amira take off his helmet which I was and I was almost rooting for that i was like god you can tell that this guy's just been at it for a long time just take the helmet off man chill with this lady stay with her kid and hang out in this village like it's a great place to live a quiet rest of your life you know so i really liked that they showed him thinking about it you know and considering it yeah they did a lot of like really like baby really cute things like uh baby yoda sipping the soup (laughs) oh that was Um, great yeah just breaking up the fight and uh also but you do find out what happens when he takes the helmet off which is nothing he just can't put it back on and so that was like a really great you know like motivation you're like oh man you just take it off and live a new life and shit didn't work out well and i like too that they show him take it off while he's eating and he's watching the kids play and oh yeah so he's in the, and he see him set it the helmet down on this banister so it's not that he never takes it off he just can't let anyone else see his face without it because it you know mandalorian's a mandalorian and if it ruins that essence of of mystery if you take it they see your face you're just a man you're not this badass suit of armor that can kill anyone you know it's an interesting uh, you know what that makes a lot more sense for the episode before when the mandos were telling him like you broke the rule it's only one at a time 
And I was like, why would they only do one at a time? But if they're stealthy like this, eh, that's kind of cool. Yep. Just, it, it, yeah, it leaves them a bit of an enigma that way, which I like. Mm. I, I will. Okay. So before we move on from this, I loved this final battle. It was fun to watch these villagers. And I liked the way it was really disappointing the way this ended, though it made a lot of sense because I was like, oh, he's just going to leave the kid there. That's kind of like the whole story. There was a couple times throughout that I'm like, wow, if they just leave the kid there or, you know, if he gives the kid away this, what are we going to do now? Like, where do they go from there? Because that pairing was so interesting. So it was, I felt really bad for the kid and for him when the bounty hunter popped up and Dune killed him. I was like, oh, that means he's got to take the kid and run again, which is, yeah, I felt bad for him. Because it just felt like it was a good solution to his problem, you know? Yeah, which, by the way, Baby Yoda and Crosshairs is like shooting a puppy point blank in the face. Right? <laughs> right. I was like, how are you going to do this? Also, they're tracker fobs. I was like, oh, I can't be a bounty hunter because I lose all my key fobs. But also, they just beep. <laughs> and I was like, how is this an effective way to track somebody if it's just a beeper? But later on, they talk about like some data being in it. So it made sense. All right, episode five. So this episode's cool because you get to go back to Tatooine and Mos Eisley. It's a lot of fun. Very nostalgic for a nerd like me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I wasn't, I I mean, I knew the name, but when I saw the beast that he had to go find, I was like, is that another one of those piranhas from Nick Nolte's planet? (laughs) Got a little confused there until I saw that it was like a big lizard. So it's kind of an interesting story. So when they did the original Star Wars, they wanted to have a lot of those creatures, the dewbacks in the shots, but they didn't have the technology to do it. So it was just a lot of stormtroopers standing around in the desert or in a village. And then when they did the special editions and they added in all the extra effects, you can see the digital versions of these dewbacks with the stormtroopers riding the dewbacks and they're kind of standing. Some of them you'll see in the desert. So it was something that George Lucas always wanted to add, but didn't have the technology back in 77 to do it. So it's an interesting addition. That's the version that I saw like before we went and saw uh, what was the first of this new trilogy called? I forget. Oh, the Force um, Awakens. Yeah, yeah. We, I had a. I just decided to watch them all because I don't think I ever did, and mm. uh, I watched those. And I didn't know if people would appreciate it more with that stuff in it because for me, it kind of like drew my eye away from how the rest of the film was kind of directed. Yeah, I won't lie. Like as a diehard fan, I I still have a VHS with all three of the original films, original cuts, and I won't get rid of them because you'll never. They'll probably never release at least as long as Lucas is alive. They'll probably never release those original cuts again. I think we're closer to that now that Disney owns Fox and they own the rights to those versions. But Fox had come out and said, we'll never release them again, ever. We're only going to do the newer updated versions. And I don't love them as much. Like I, I'm not a big as big a fan of the additions. I don't like some of the changes that were made. Even the new version, they released a new version on Disney Plus of the original one of the whole Han shot first shit. But freaking the dude screams some weird ass phrase now when he gets shot. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, like, what are you doing? Greedo just, he just fucking dies. Just let the guy get shot and fucking sit there. Anyway, so to your point, I was never a fan of the releases. They're easiest to watch. So, I mean, I watch them, but I, I still have a v, an old VHS copy of all three of the original, original Star Wars cuts. That's unbelievable that you have a VHS still. I, that's, how does yep. it work? <laughs> 
Well, right now it doesn't because finding a VHS player that actually works is not as easy as you might think. No, but I'm yeah, constantly I mean. on the lookout and I want to buy one just to keep it with those tapes so that I can be like, I want to watch old school OG freaking Star Wars right now and bust out the, the old. But now TVs aren't even coming with RCA jacks. So it's like, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in trouble. Also, uh, in this episode, I did like that Baby Yoda started like pushing Mando back a little bit. He kept pressing this button and man was like don't press it and then he was like oh fuck you and pressed yeah. it again <laughs> yeah <laughs> he flips that switch and messes with the ship i like that part a lot he's kind of got a little mean streak that little bastard little feisty kid i liked it he made the good entrance like when the lady saw him he just comes walking out i just love that you can't contain him either he puts him in these rooms and shuts doors and he's still just right there all the time like he just pops out whenever the hell he wants to kid cracks me up i enjoyed pelimato i enjoyed this little mechanic lady she was funny and i loved the callback to the little nose droids the little button droids so her three droids were also yeah the three students they were also in in uh episode one at wado's junkyard where they find anakin for the first time it was i do remember that it was one of those that they so i love that callback there's so many little callbacks to the all nine of the movies so especially the original three i really enjoy that though it was fun i didn't love the the calican character this this toro calican he kind of annoyed me and maybe that was intentional, but I, I wasn't a big fan like of his character. I understand the need for him to be there, but I almost would have rather him not been part of it and just have Mandalorian take a job of some sort to hunt this Shand character and yeah. leave him out. Like I think you could. I think this is the first time I was like, eh, I feel like this is a character that just didn't need to be there. It looked but, like Damien Chazelle, you know, the director of La La Land, the really like, uh-huh. young baby face guy, and I felt like he was trying to act like Han Solo the whole time, you know, like whipping his gun and like whipping it around and also that did lead to like a great scene when he was like look like mando is sleeping and he keeps like pointing his gun at him and he's like oh man sleeping on the job he's like you done <laughs> he's like we gotta get to work that's a great scene so i i will give you that that's a good one i like that one another funny one about this one is in this episode the bartender where they meet calican is voiced by mark hamill oh wow so, oh really? Yeah. So that a giant ant that was drinking at the bar too. I saw that. And then of course we have this assassin, which there was some good callbacks there too, right? So the Mandalorian, they get there and oh, she has the high ground. I almost lost my shit with that one. She has the high ground, so we're gonna leave her there. That callback to old Obi Wan. It's it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that. I did like the fact that like he, the another line that I enjoyed with the, the one with Calcan was he's like, he takes the shot in the back from the sniper rifle after going down and checking the dew back. And the guy's like, dude, you survived that hit. He goes, yeah, she has a sniper rifle and I have Beskar iron and the Beskar handled it. And he goes, well, I don't have Beskar. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they uh, snuck up on her pretty good, man, with those like flashbangs. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good tack to use that to be able to blind her and keep her from making the shots. I actually didn't expect baby Damien Chazelle to pull the trigger on the, yeah. on the girl when she was talking to him. I was like, all right, I see you. <laughs> he does go kind of ruthless on her. It was an interesting play from her too, you know, to try to turn the table on the Mandalorian and get the kid to go after him and his bounty for the fame and the, you know, legendary status. You could tell he was just complete narcissist and wanted just to be the guy, right? Good play on her part. But I am curious as to who it was that 
came up to her at the end. And she's laying there dead. And the mysterious figure pops up. The guy has spurs for sure. Yeah. I heard them. Yep. If that is any kind of like a help in the Star Wars realm, I'm just letting you know he has spurs. Yeah, it really doesn't. Like, but I feel like that's what this whole episode's about, right? Because the title of it is The Gunslinger. But you don't see a gunslinger until you hear the, you oh, know, yeah. the spurs at the very end. So I'm wondering if they didn't name this episode after the fact that this gunslinger is whoever comes in at the end. I would so. imagine so, because the kid definitely isn't a gunslinger. No, and neither is she. She's a sniper, not a gunslinger. So chapter six. Bill Burr, by the way, crazy he's in this. And then, I know. Uh, Mark Boone Jr. from, you know, Memento and a bunch of Christopher Nolan flicks. It was, yep. it was pretty cool. Well, and then uh, the guy that plays Berg, the big Deveroni and the big dude with horns. I'm trying to think of his the name. But he, what was it? The Hellboy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he voiced Darth Maul's brother in the Clone Wars. And I can't remember the, his name in the show. So he's been throughout the Star Wars universe. So it was kind of fun to see him back as this big dude throwing shit around i did like the the quote where he like introduces him to bill burr and uh he's like telling him how they used to make a name by having mando around and he was like well what did he get out of it and he was like you remember what you told me back then target practice <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that he was messing he's like i thought you'd be bigger so tiny <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing was fun. It, and it was, this is another episode that was kind of like almost, I want to say it was unnecessary, but it wasn't because it was fun. You know what I mean? It was a nice break from this continuing storyline of people chasing the child and him, you know, protecting it and, and this whole, and it gave you a touch into his backstory that, you know, he obviously wasn't always this honorable dude. He just, he would do crazy shit with these criminals and obviously was pretty brutal because they were all pretty intimidated by him as, as individuals and pretty pissed at him because they left he left Quinn wherever it was that got him caught. This Quinn, the uh, she reminded me of the blue opera lady from the fifth element. Have you ever <laughs> yeah. seen it? Her and the brother. Yeah, the, the Twilight's one girl was really good with knives. Mm -hmm. So Mando's ship, they said, was pre-Empire, and that makes it undetectable. So it's not registered. Mm. Um, so just that, like today, if you want to commit a crime, go grab a bucket. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's what it's you know, it's it's not registered with either new republic or the old uh -huh. records is what because of when it was because it was empire pre-empire yeah so again this one's kind of fun it shows the fighting skill when he takes on like those droids by himself and everybody's watching and then they split it up and i did like the part where the big deveroni when the blurg guy like grabs a hold of the giant asteroid and hucks it into the other one after he slams it on the ground a few times so you kind of get that that dichotomy of the two different fighting styles where the blurgs the blurg is just like i'm gonna freaking muscle my way through a bull in a china shop and the Mandalorian is very much more tactical and strategic. And so I like that comparison of the two fighting styles. That was pretty cool. I did like uh, when they got to the prison, it was all these weird creatures. And then there mm. was some random guy in a cell. <laughs> I was like, what did he do? Why is he there? And then the so warden, he was like, I didn't know if this was really from Star Wars because it looked like Spaceballs, the warden's helmet. I was like, is that is that a reference to Spaceballs or Star Wars? <laughs> a little bit of both. So those helmets, were used they started off in the death star the gunners wore helmets similar to that and then the you see one of the rebels was up in a like almost like a sniper nest you see him wearing that helmet too so definitely a helmet that's been throughout the star wars universe that Spaceballs definitely used to make fun of them calls him like an egghead or something like that <laughs> yep. like, oh thanks for pointing it out and that 
character is played by an actor named Matt Lanter, and he is the voice of Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels animated shows. He's also, they use his voice in Rise of Skywalker as like the, the force voices that Ray hears at the end. Oh, his really? voice is also one of them. So he's been throughout. So I liked that one too. That was a nice callback again. And I mean, with Dave Filoni on the, in the producer's chair and doing some directing, he's certainly going to be able to bring in those characters to let them play. Because, I mean, he did. Those two cartoons are his. Like, he created them. He wrote them, directed them. So, a lot of fun there. Mando kills another guy. Or, or no, I guess he doesn't kill him. I thought he did. The uh, Hellboy guy where he kills him with a door. Yeah. Killed with a door. Like, There's nothing this guy can't do. Well, and I loved it because that big dude's, like, lifting the one door up. And then he gets it over and the other one shuts sideways on him. <laughs> it was great. This one also has three really fun cameos. And that's with the three X-Wing fighters that come in at the end to destroy that station. One of them is Dave Filoni. The other, yeah, the first one that you hear talking is Dave Filoni. Then the other one is two of the directors. So the one was the guy, Rick Famuyiwa. He was the director of this episode and another episode. And then Deborah Chow, who is the director of two of the episodes this season as well. So those three were your three X-Wing pilots that came in. I'm so glad they put that in because it reminded me of like what the time period is for this. Because I, mm-hmm. in the beginning, I didn't know until they started making references to pre-Empire and whatnot. Yeah, really cool reference and a great way to bring in, you know, these familiar visuals that we you haven't seen a lot of because it's post-movies, pre-sequel mo- trilogy, but post-original trilogy, which is really cool. Also, the start of my notes where I wrote, you sly devil Mando for the tracer trick. And I have like a million other notes where he does little tricks like that later on in the episode. <laughs> He's a thinker. And I love they show him looking at it at one point and you're like, what's he doing? And then, yeah, it pops up. It's great. When they pull it out of the pocket and the one dude's like, run! And he's trying to run away as they're blowing up this battle station. The only thing that was disturbing to me was when uh, he got locked up and he <laughs> broke that droid's arm and the droid bled. I was like, oh my god, they bleed! Why are we <laughs> killing them like they're nothing? Speaking of that, you brought up the one thing that really bothered me, probably the thing that bothered me the most in this whole series of episodes, is how does that dude's little that droids exit like little pop out arm thing still work when it's not connected to the rest of this droid he rips off that arm and then he plugs that bastard in and it starts spinning i'm like don't you kind of need your mainframe for that shit to work just saying (laughs) i mean i'm glad it did because otherwise he's stuck in a cell and it's pointless but yeah i was sitting there going wait a minute when the blue brother when they knew that the ships were coming and uh they got like separated he was like hey bill burr i'll pay you triple if you kill mando acting like they're not about to all just get killed in five minutes he's like all right are you good for it and then the guy laughs he doesn't even say he's good for it he just smiled and obviously there was something with that guy because the main guy ran is happy to see him and doesn't give a shit that the others aren't there i mean not really give a shit right so i was like what's their relationship because that's a lot of lives to lose just to get one back so i was like that's yeah. an interesting it's like what's his important not that it matters they're both dead now anyway but shit was funny all right episode seven this was a crazy episode mm-hmm. the only thing i can think of with this episode are those sto- two stormtroopers and their whole little side <laughs> conversation <laughs> like did you did you look up and read who they were played by i guess I, with the I I voices I was, the thinking, I was thinking either jason sudeikis or seth mcfarlane jason sudeikis was one of them the other one trying to remember what his name was adam pally so those two are the ones that are going at it and they are funny when he punches the kid and the dude's like dude you might have hit it too hard <laughs> 
like what the fuck is going on right now just keeps wanting to look at it he's like should we offer it water he's like man you just want to look at this thing fine go ahead go ahead yeah and then at one funny. point he's like what do you think moth wants with it he's like i don't know maybe eat it i don't ask questions <laughs> Good grief. I like in this episode when you get to see IG-11 again and that whole story of how he's reprogrammed him and let him learn. And he's like pouring the tea like in the wrong place. So it's falling past the cup or he like squishes the little lizard with the fucking crate. And he drops on it. <laughs> yeah, and then just... he learns to like, like love them so that like he doesn't hit them with the crates and everything. Yeah. It's a great montage. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes so you feel for him. Yeah. And the whole time you get this Nick Nolte gravel voice like narrating the whole change and everything that's going on. Uh, so funny. Did anybody else think that this was just a straight up trap from the beginning? Like when he was like, bring the child as bait. I was like, I think I wrote a note for that in the episode before. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a trap for sure. But, I, you know, and he's not wrong when he told Carrie, he's like, I have to go because otherwise you're just going to be hunted the whole time and you yeah. constantly having to look over your shoulder getting in space battles and eventually someone's going to get you. So... I like that he went there. This is also the one where the child like goes after Kara. So they're having like an arm wrestling match and the child thinks she's trying to hurt the Mandalorian and goes full on Darth Vader on this chick. I was like, damn, this kid's brutal when he wants to be. I even wrote, I was like, damn, baby Yoda, ease up on the domestic violence. Shit. <laughs> Exactly. Also, That's I think this crazy. is the one where he uh, he flies the ship for a little bit, like very angrily, like very intense. I was like, he doesn't want to go to this place, guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that, Jay, because it's almost like he knows what's happening, right? I'm being used as bait and I'm pissed about it because he yeah. does. He starts fucking with buttons and the ship starts going crazy. It's an interesting thought process. When they go find, what's her name, Gina, and she's doing that fight and I was in it, they oh, were yeah. attached by a laser rope and then she like uses it around the guy's neck. And I was like, that's how you use the laser rotina. <laughs> like, good job. <laughs> also, another good callback there is that the species she was fighting was the same as Darth Maul's. I and noticed Darth yeah, had the horns from the planet Dathomir. I love that we go get Quill. I just, I love Quill. He's so cool. And in this episode, when he's, you know, they have these winged creatures comes in and the baby Yoda heals Grief Karga. I was like, that's the way to get him on your side, right? So he saves him, but then Quill has to leave and protect him. And I was so mad, like when those two stormtroopers go after Quill and I was like oh they better not catch him broke my soul when he died just killed me it was cra- I loved when they would did go pick him up and he was like blurbs come I have spoken <laughs> yeah just, oh, yeah the blurbs come. but later that brings dragon so it wasn't that thought out true and I love that he was more pissed about the blurgs getting taken yeah. by the, the birds than like the other guy like it's <laughs> like those blurgs are his people man I like it we get introduced to Gus Fring yeah Gus Fring ever <laughs> I love Giancarlo Esposito. Like mm. from the boys, he's amazing in the boy. Like he's an amazing in everything he does. So when he steps out and you're like, oh God, that's he's the little hologram of him pops up. Mm. Like that's bitching. Moff Gideon. He just kills even his own men in that place, right? Which yeah, is crazy. Like the baby's not in the crib. See ya. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I'm gonna kill everybody. Werner Herzog goes down, takes the first round of bullets. Oh, you look out and just those the death troopers are standing there at the door surrounding him. And then those like the so whole bad-ass. Oh, yeah. Well, and then the whole battalion of fucking stormtroopers roll in in the old toy. That that little transport, it was a toy that you came. Yeah, it was an old toy. It had the little individual slots. I used to have it. And you'd put the little stormtrooper toys in the side of it. And it was a stormtrooper transport. So they showed this thing. I was like, that's the toy. So, yeah, it was based on a toy. That's 
pretty cool. Hell yeah. So that leads us right into the final episode. Okay, I want one of these big ass guns that they had that the friggin' Mandalorian ended up with. That thing was Yeah, bitching. that was like the Gatling gun, but also Giancarlo. Is that how you pronounce his name? Giancarlo? Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito. He, he threatens them with a big gun that they don't even show. And he's just like telling them like how much damage it does. And he's kind of like giving each other, letting them know that he knows who they are. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, oh, you've experienced it. But they yeah. never showed it. And I was like, what is this gun? I got to see this gun now. Well, that's the gun that he picks up at the end. That's the actual gun that they were setting up and that the, um, the Mandalorian holds that he uses and he's mowing them down. And yeah. then Gideon shoots the little power box that explodes. That's the gun he was talking about. Which was also one. strange that he didn't kill Mando. Yeah. Well, I, I wondered that too. I was like, and it, except for his character's kind of that way, right? He's all about the flair and the drama. So it's more fun to mm-hmm. kill him by exploding him than it is just shooting him in the back. And I think he also realized that that Mando armor is bitching. So the only way to really, because he watched as Mando took some serious blaster bolts. And as long as it hit the armor, that Beskar, it, it didn't go through. So that might've been part of why, you know, the explosion is going to take him out even with that Beskar. Whereas blaster bolt, you just never know. But I did like how much he knew about all of them. Like the dude's no joke. He's mm-hmm. just going through and reading all these secret facts about all of them and laying it out there. But that's how, of course, the Mandalorian figures out who he is. And then we get that full scene of him as a kid and his family getting killed. And that via droid. Yeah, via droid. Which was cool because that's the first time you see the B2 super battle droids in live action. You've only ever seen them in the cartoons. So I was like, the first time you see them, I was like, oh shit, that's a super battle droid. I thought that was cool because I'm such I'm a nerd for all this shit. So seeing those in live action was cool. And uh, don't they say his name? Didn't Jarn. And we got to see his face. Yeah, we get to see Pedro Pascal and he's all fucked up. And I love the, the logic, right? Because he's like, no one can see my face and he's getting ready to shoot IG again. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not alive. <laughs> so I, and then he lets him pull it off and he's all fucked up. And I love that, that they're is. explaining what the spray is too. Instead of just, oh, here's this magic droid spray that heals his ass. One of my favorite jokes was in that moment where he's like, you have considerable damage to your central processing unit. And he's like, you mean my brain? He was like, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a good part. I like that. It's a nice callback too that the little drain thing that they were trying to get through is exactly the same as the one from the original Star Wars where they shoot down into the, the garbage disposal in the Death Star. But they couldn't actually shoot through that one. So it shows that the Empire had reinforced their drains. <laughs> and you got that big ass R2 D2 down there. That's yeah, that was the that boat along. shit. I love that thing. You just see this R2 unit or R4 unit because it was red sitting in this thing. All of a sudden it stands up and it's like this mega droid. I was like, yes, that was awesome. The forger. This is where the axe comes into play and she's just sitting there waiting for the storm or the yeah stormtroopers. It takes them all down, man. Yeah, I love where she's just sitting there and she refuses to leave until she's gotten rid of all of the evidence of the Mandalorians and, mm-hmm. and broken down the materials for future use. And I love that she's just sitting there like waiting and the stormtroopers surround her. They like poke her with, in the helmet with their gun. Then she's she got just her arms crossed. Yeah, she just goes ape shit with this pair of tongs and then the freaking, the yeah, her axe hammer thing. Oh, mm. I love that scene because she's of the whole show other than Quill. She's probably my second favorite character just because she's still mysterious. She's weird. You don't know where she comes from, but she's badass. And I've I was never... glad that they didn't kill off all of the Mandalorians. I thought they did for a second. Yeah, I did she too. got away. It was such a sad moment when he comes up on all of the old armor piled up and he just thought that his escaping has caused 
cause the destruction of all these people. And she just tells him, look, it's the price that we pay for showing ourselves, you know, as soon as everybody knew, all they got to do now is figure out where we are and they're going to come after us. So it was an interesting concept that they sacrifice themselves for him, basically. And she gives him the fucking jet pack. I was yeah. Like, I think my note for that was like, jet pack, fuck yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. But she gives him the jetpack and the signet, which she finally he refused at first, right? So they she wanted to give it to him in like episode three before he went and saved the child and he refused. He said it wasn't an honorable kill because the kid helped him. Yeah, and then an she enemy finds out them. Yeah, an enemy helped. And then at the eight, she finds out they did it together. So she just she doesn't even ask. She just starts making it. And it's like, You've earned your signet, which is the coolest shit. Like this big mud the mud worm. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Yeah. Slapped on his shoulder, and then the kid has the the necklace the Mandalorian with the dragon skull on it, that symbol for the Mandalorians. It's a badass symbol, yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that necklace. Yeah, it's cool. And I love ig Eleven sacrifice here where, you know, you see him come full circle from he's trying to kill this kid for a bounty and now he's made the choice that he's going to sacrifice himself and argues through. The other part that goes with that is that complete flip with the Mandalorian where the whole series he hates droids because he was attacked by one. You know, he was almost, his family was killed by droids and he was almost killed by droids and we see that in this episode but now he's come to where he respects and he appreciates ig11 to where he's fighting with him to say no you, we need you you can't die and almost gets emotional about it you know oh it so does th- actually because uh the droid is like i detect sadness and I'm yeah like, he can detect sadness and then he's got a full t2 and i like cried my eyes out yeah it was rough man but it was such a great way and he's like standing out there and he opens his he's like i cannot be taken captive and then the explosion is just monstrous and wipes out everybody. Um, TIE fighter comes in. Yeah, so cool note before we talk about Gideon though. So when they show the Mandalorian getting saved by all those Mandalorians as a child, that group of Mandalorians is a group called the Death Watch and they were featured in the Clone Wars series. They were led by a guy named Pre Vishla and Pre Vishla was, he led the Death Watch to try to take back Mandalore from a politician they were more of like a democratic peaceful society previously and the death watch wanted them to go back to their militant very warlike ways so he was picked up by death watch that was the blue armor with that three like a claw slash mark so that's death watch the other cool thing about death watch is, is that's they had they included them that's who had the dark saber that we see oh. at the end of this so previously had the dark saber the dark saber was created by the only mandalorian jedi ever in history and so that that dark saber, whoever holds it, was is considered the leader of the Mandalorian people, and so it's kind of dangerous that Gideon has it. But so the dark saber was in there. And then Darth Maul in that series and then through later on, you find out he leads. He has the Darksaber. He takes the Darksaber from Pre Vishla and then leads Death Watch in Mandalore. And then you see a fight in Rebels. They did, just did this last season on Disney Plus of Rebels, a new season or of Clone Wars rather. And you see this battle against Death Watch, Maul's Death Watch. So... And all of these characters, so Bo-Katan Kryzen, who is going to be in this new episode, in the new season, and of course, Ahsoka Tano's in the new season, all of them were on this battle against Death Watch, led by Maul. So it's very interesting dichotomy. He was saved by Death Watch. Now he's going to be at least working with or discussing with these two people that were against Death Watch after Maul took over. And it's all about the Darksaber, which Death Watch had, the leader of Death Watch had. So very interesting tie-ins to the back content. Yeah, I was wondering 
wondering, and I heard of the dark saber, but I didn't know what it was until just now. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, that actually is a great plot point. Glad they did that. Yeah. I kind of freaked out. Like I had a moment where I like literally like, like what the fuck he's got the dark saber when that, when they read, when the Mandalorian brings down his tie fighter and it shows him cutting his way out. And you, I saw the tip of that blade come through. I was like, Holy shit. That's the dark saber. And I had kind of a really bad, like childhood geek moment because like I, I'm a 40 year old man that almost screamed like a 12 year old boy because here's this dark saber. I was the coolest shit for me. I was like, this is, this is why Dave Filoni and John Favreau should just run the star Wars division from Disney period. They do a good job with Marvel and everything else. So when, uh, Gideon shows up in the tie fighter, I loved when, uh, Carl Weathers was like, Hey, you know, baby Yoda, do your magic hand thing. And then he yeah. like waves. And then he's like, well, I'm out of ideas. That was a, <laughs> have him do the, the wavy hand thing when he waves that shit was great i'm out of ideas i laughed pretty good on that one and i do love that when you see him take that jet pack and just fly straight up and then tether himself to the tie fighter it's such a bitchin move because he doesn't know how to use it yet right you got yeah train. like he had training as a child but he hadn't like he hadn't done all the drills and stuff like that was one of the things that the armor was like he needs to be healthy and he's got to do his drills to yeah. get used to it so he had to put it on and kind of learn how to use it without fully knowing how so that was pretty cool series is amazing dude i can't wait until the second season and it's only like five days away oh by the way i wanted to ask though the great purge does that have any do you Mm. know about that from the the lore of star Uh wars the idea behind the great purge was mandalore was too powerful so and then they have this war that happens during the clone wars series and during rebels so there's they have these two big wars and the great purge happened after those and there was a whole planet the planet mandalore and there was a ton of mandalorians and they were a militaristic people, as you can tell. Now, they were trying to find a more peace, trying to be part of the Republic and be more peaceful during peaceful times, but they were always going to be a threat to the Emperor and to the Empire because if they don't want to live as part of the Empire, this is a highly skilled, dangerous people, and if they're all combined, you got a planet full, and they're all this way. It's not like Mm -hmm. they have a military. It's the whole fucking planet is a military. So the Emperor, he tried to control Mandalore. He tried to take over Mandalore, which is what caused these two civil wars and so throughout this at the end of it he said i can't have them here they could cause me a problem and so they wiped the planet they just purged mandalore and yeah so it didn't go well for Mandalorians. And so they always had a hatred for the Empire because they they knew, you know, and then after the fact, there were very few true Mandalorians left, if any. That actually makes the series make a lot of sense because like even Warner Herzog was like, you know, when he was explaining the Purge, he was like, you know, it was too big. Like we needed to, to get peace. Yep. Yeah. Mandalore would always cause a problem. So they had to get rid of it. And that's why you also hear that like throughout, it's such a frightening thing when they see a Mandalorian, they're, they're like, oh shit, I've heard stories and I've heard the myths and the legends, but there's not enough of them left. Even after with the foundlings, there's still not enough of them for them to be considered a real culture or anything like that. So it's an interesting concept. All right. So should we rate this season? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. If you join us for the first time, we rate on a zero to five scale, zero being hot garbage, five being perfection. So we will go around the horn here and give our rating zero to five. I'll kick us off. As a diehard Star Wars fan, it's hard for me not to just jump in with right with a five but i think i'm not going to give it a full out five because i do feel like there were some parts that like the whole episode on the prison felt unnecessary to me now they may tie it in later but i felt like it could have been seven episodes and i would have been just as fine i don't feel like i gained much from that episode though it was fun and entertaining and i don't fault it 
as a whole cohesive piece, I was like, mm, it felt like it pulled me out of the series a little bit when I go back and watch it. As an individual episode, it was very enjoyable. As part of the whole, it was a little weird. Everything else tied so well together and gave me so much about the inch, the series that I and the character, and I just loved everything about it. The the callbacks, the little tie-ins. There was so many. Every episode had so many Easter eggs from the little salacious bee crumb Kawaki and monkey lizards being cooked in the first episode <laughs> to all the way down to the dark saber and all these tie-ins to all these great Star Wars things and it was clear it was cut it was concise it was just a great series to me the acting was amazing the story was fantastic the way that they played it out was great the short episodes that had such meat in almost every episode it was just those little small things like the ticky tack and picky as it is the droid with his hand I was like how the fuck would that work without the rest of his body I'm giving this episode this series a four and a half I thought it was an amazing first season I am stoked for the second season I'm so glad they were able to continue filming inside their bubble so so I think that's great. I can't wait for it. I'm giving it a four and a half, and I will probably watch it again before Friday. So, Jay, why don't you go? Uh, honestly, I would want to give this a five, really, because this is my favorite part of the Star Wars world. You know, yeah. I've seen all the movies, and I even watched Rise of the Sky uh, Skywalker like a couple nights ago, and this was shot much more beautifully. Mm-hmm. The music was just perfect. And, uh, yeah, they, they really hit a home run with Baby Yoda there, man. Cool. So five from Jay, Ian. I enjoyed The Mandalorian. We've talked about a lot of the good things, and I enjoy learning about the lore and a few like that. I can't go quite as high on my rating. There are just a few things that like got to me. Um, like the first three episodes, I was like, man, there's a lot of shots of him just walking around in armor. I remember like thinking that multiple times where it's like, all right, man, they're showing his whole trip to and from here. And But um, <laughs> like these are just nitpicky things to make my rating make a little more sense, I guess. Um, and even just like the, the ship, putting the ship back together. Together. Like mm. I felt like that was kind of like, um, don't really know what to do. So they told us, tore his whole ship apart and then him and Quill put it back together like Fast and the Furious <laughs> montage style. <laughs> put his ship back together and take off. And I was like, man, I've worked on my car before. And <laughs> even if I had another set of hands, like, you're going to be there for a week or two. One thing I really did love that I didn't touch on was the casting for Dune. I love that they went and got this MMA fighter to play that character because she's rough and tough and she goes toe to toe with the Mandalorian, their arm wrestling. And I just love that they pick somebody that embodies like that fighter style. And you can see her choke guys out and duke it out with them. And it's awesome. But yeah, I did enjoy this. I would say 3.5. And I'm expecting season two to be even better. Three and a half, four and a half, and a five. So pretty highly rated. Go watch this show. It's amazing. Listen to us wherever you find podcasts. Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Ghana, just to name a few. Send us an email, host at whatsourverdict.com. Get on our website, whatsoverdict.com, and then leave us a comment, man. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Tell us what to watch next, what to review. Jay, we appreciate you joining us, my man. Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, for me, it's pretty easy. Everything, Facebook, Twitter, is all at Hardy Jays with a Z at the end. I keep an eye on his Facebook and Twitter, too, so lots of fun stuff coming out of there. A lot of cool social things that I just enjoy watching for me. Jay, I've gone in and signed a couple of your petitions, man. You got me thinking all <laughs> socially aware, and I love keep well, that yeah, shit that's how I do most of my business is through Twitter. And I tell you what, man, the DC protests, they really changed a lot for me. I was yeah. able to get a lot of content and get a lot of people interested in different projects. With social media for us, it's everything's at What's Our Verdict, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Socialize with us, interact. We'd love to hear from you. With that, we'll catch you guys on the next one. 